Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Join Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 3 million members. You can win up to 25 times your money by picking more or less. Download the app today and use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. New Year's is now in the rearview mirror. By now, some of the excitement about our New Year's resolutions may be dying down, much like my excitement for Chelsea Football Club as we get further and further into the season. If you're looking for performance apparel that can help give you the extra push you need to keep up with your health goals, Viore has you covered. Viore creates incredibly versatile and comfortable active wear designed to look great in everyday life in and out of the gym, or in my case, on or off the tennis court. Plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint by offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond. They are utilizing better sustainable materials for their products, empowering your best active life. With Viore, you can feel good about the things you buy and also how they are made. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash MIB. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash MIB. Not only Will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns? Trust me, go to viore.com slash MIB and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's Welcome to a Men in Blazers pod. An odd pod. Davo oh, is away in England dealing with a real-life family matter that even transcends football. Everyone in the crap part of Soho joins me in sending love to you, Davo, and the entire Davo clan during this difficult time. Big cuddles, mate. We all wish you courage. So it's going to be a sad pod the most suboptimal possibly of all time, a sound of one hand clapping pod, partly sad because it's just me, the dullest half of men in blazers, the Jonathan Benteke to Davos Christian. It doesn't help that the pod lands during what is a, oh, a wild time for America, a time during which the entire nation is being rocked by a trinity of historic happenings, the Cubs, winning the World Series, the US-Mexico clash looming Friday, and third, and hopefully least importantly, the presidential election. Hashtag Bobby Wood for president. Quick word on that World Series Game 7. It really had everything. The only thing that it clearly missed was bloody Clattenburg behind home plate calling balls and strikes. I fell in love with baseball the first time I came to this country. I went to Old Comiskey, Sunday, August 3rd, 1986, and watched Carlton Fisk and Ozzie Guillen batter the Tigers. I was totally hooked on a game which just seemed like chess with chewing tobacco to me. And I went the next week and watched the Cubs sat in the bleachers the same week, I believe, as a young Garlo White. I spoke to him on Saturday. We think we went to Wrigley Field the very same week in the 80s. I watched Mookie Wilson and the Mets just batter the Cubbies and I just loved the hapless loserdom 
that engulfed Wrigley Field. It was so very gratifying. It was validating. Oh, it was familiar. And now it's going to be fascinating to watch the Cubs fans adapt to the new identity of winners. Because when I think about Everton Football Club in their modern incarnation, I sometimes think, don't take away my losing. It's all I have. <sighs> Arsenal fans, you do realise now the Cubs have won this. It probably means Wenger's going to win the Premier League this season. I actually tweeted that out during the Cubs win. And I loved, I loved that dozens of Arsenal fans, angry, tweeted me back immediately. We're not just going to win the league. We're going to win the Champions League too. <sighs> Fandom. Finally, I've said it before and I will say it again. Theo Epstein, do your patriotic duty. Start to GM the US men's national soccer team to World Cup glory and maybe play left-back too while you're at it, starting this Friday. Oh, this weekend was a remarkable footballing key party with the international teams being announced, MLS playoffs, a Premier League schedule in which our four big Champions League representatives all came back to our loving arms and failed to win while fresh-legged-up starts Liverpool and plucky little feel-good Chelsea went on what can only be described as frenzied goal orgies, which we'll talk about in time. Quick charge through the highlights. Arsenal won. Spurs won. Starring Mark Clattenburg. English Ed Hockley. Oh, the storyline going into this game was riveting. Arsenal had all the momentum. They'd won 10 out of their last 11 in all competitions, including the midweek wonder against mighty Ludogrets and that Meza Ozil CGI wonder goal, which I loved the description of by the great Eric Cantona. He just said it was a footballing orgasm. But on the downside for Arsenal fans, November! Arsene Wenger's great white whale, the month in which last year his team mustered only two points in the league and were battered by Bayern Munich. Unbeaten Spurs, they entered in what can only be described as head-scratching form. The false hope of dominant victory over Manchester City long since frittered away. Six games without a win. A new system for Tongan, Dyer, and the infamous exiles Kevin Vimmer in a back three. And Arsenal, oh, lacking Santi Cazorla to conduct them, just made it a fantastic derby fair. The North London derby, it should be said, it never disappoints. Industry, physical commitment, every player giving 110%, apart from Alex Awobi who contributed between 30 to 40 when he could be asked. Arsenal struck first. Ozil dropping a free kick into a dangerous area. Panic ensued. And where there's panic, does the perpetually beleaguered Kevin Vimmer to throw a match on it? Vimmer headed into his own net in a way I imagine even the meaty French forehead of Olivier Giroud couldn't have bettered. Spurs began the second half more muscled, more direct. Poor Koscielny, who'd just been megged humiliatingly by Son, clipped Dembele just inside the penalty area, right in front of Academy Award nominees Mark Clattenburg. Kane calmly dropped the penalty down the middle, his fifth in four league games against Arsenal. His confidence from the spot was so admirable to come back to the side after seven weeks out to not be fully match fit but to step up, take the responsibility, finish so emphatically, really mentally impressive, especially for an Englishman. I mean, Kane, it has to be said, brought qualities his team have no doubt lacked. But that was it. 
Arsenal needed more from their midfield, which seems stuck in reverse. Spurs need so much more in the final third. Not since Harold and his purple crayon has anyone loved to draw so much. Of the two managers, Wenger treated the draw more like a loss. But the honest truth is, the stakes are so high now in the modern North London derby. It's no longer just about territorial battles. It's more about a symbolic power, a test of title credentials. So it's a game that neither team needs to win, but neither side can afford to lose. Hence the draw after draw after draw. Oh, a draw sounds great right now to me as an Everton fan. After El Blaze Erico, Chelsea, Funf, Everton, Nils. I wish Dave was here to talk about it. I'd love to hear his happy little voice, his thoughts, talking with a giddiness that only football can bring. Because from an Everton perspective, the game was best summed up by a tweet from a GFOP at Inland Defence when he said, oh, clearly an Everton fan, this match is long and depressing enough to qualify as a Jewish holiday. Oh, Inland Defence, give me Yom Kippur any day of the week, mate, to be truthful. I didn't have much optimism going into this game. Everton have taken one win in 24 games at Stamford Bridge. We've not won in 22 years. I think I still had hair when I last celebrated victory. So I woke up bereft of optimism. In fact, if anything, I was vaguely pissed off by the, the press trying to trump up some sense that Everton could actually do some business before kickoff. Lukaku returns to Stamford Bridge. Balassi suggesting he may boss the game if he chose. He did chose not to. These giddy press reports that the duo is speaking in the Congolese tongue known as Lingala. A tongue that no defenders speak. That's why they've been doing so well. But I think in this one, the meek Everton must have screamed, not in the face, in Lingala. And Antonio Conte, his English still limited, only understood the in-the-face bit. And he obliged. And then some. I knew we were doomed. The second bloody Seamus Coleman stood through Diego Costa just savagely. I mean, exhibit A of Premier League Rule 57 1B. You can do whatever you like, whenever you like, to Mr. Diego Costa. But last season, that kind of injustice would have led to Diego Costa disintegrating before our very eyes, elbowing people, dark arts, whatever, as he mentally and physically took himself out of the game. But this season, happy Diego, different person, true professional. A believer in Newton's third law that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And how that came back to bite us. Because Everton was sloppy in possession, couldn't muster anything coherent in attack. And with just the three at the back and the wing-backs pushed up high, they were so vulnerable when Chelsea's suddenly well-oiled attack decided to counter. And so they did. Barry coughing it up hopelessly. Eden Hazard sprung. He honestly looked like no threat when he charged forward out on the flank, ambling forward, double-teamed. But then he changed pace, befuddled Everton's heavy-legged, slow-minded defenders, and from an angle which could only be called improbable, just humiliated Martin Stecklenburg. <sighs> Within 24 seconds, not enough time for Antonio Conte to even try and hide his hard-on by tucking it into the elastic of his boxer shorts. It was 2-0. I was still numb. Pedro cut Everton open, laid it off to a charging Alonso who casually megged Stecklenburg and rolled the ball into the net. The kind of non-save that just made me instantly Google rumoured Tim Howard loan spell. 
Martin bloody Stecklenburg, if the shot isn't a penalty, he can't come close to saving it. By this point, I didn't feel a thing to be candid. Chelsea was so dominant, so clinical. It all felt how I imagine it would be if you had your head cut off by a hand-forged single-edged blade of a katana in the hands of a 14th century samurai. Chelsea were just faster, quicker, more able, better in every facet of the game. Without gay, Everton were worse than Lindsay Lohan's new accent, just tactically incoherent, collectively lacklustre as individuals, didn't muster a first-half shot or a second-half shot on goal. For me, the international break started at half-time, but for others, the game went on and on and on. Eden Hazard and Pedro exchanging backheel flick, a 1-2 Hazard ran at Ashley Williams, made his brain melt down and then struck it home. Say 2016 Hazard, it's an honour to watch him. You remember when Mourinho said last year that he was poised to step up to Ronaldo and Messi's ether, and we all laughed. The way he's played the past five games, taking over games, hurting opponents at will, he's making Mourinho sound sage 15 months on. Everton, whatever the tactical plan we had, it just never gelled. Single worst performance of the season so far. I have not seen a football team be that systematically dismantled since Argentina smashed US in the Centenario. As Scotty Rev tweeted, this wasn't just in the face. It was in the groin, the sternum, the neck. I'll say it was an honour to be so utterly smashed by a team playing lethal, cohesive football. (sighs) A word on Liverpool. Six. Watford. One. Big question running into this game. Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, would they wither under the expectation they have now as frontrunners? What the heck? Even though Watford were unbeaten in the last four, what just surprised and impressed me was the general sense of ease with which Liverpool approached the task. They were aware that a match-up between their high-octane offence and the defence that with Cavul and Aurelio Gomez, let's just say it's made of highly combustible material, was a battle that would always go in their favour. They found their rhythm. They started a purr with menace from the off. And even when Watford had the ball, Liverpool looked the more dangerous as they looked to seize the opportunity to score on the break. Mane, that goal, the opener, brilliantly conceived header. A reminder that Liverpool don't just score goals. Each one they do score feels like a miniature work of micro art, like those Japanese master craftsmen who paint exquisite portraits on grains of rice. Coutinho, at the heart of much of what's good, the most informed player in the Premier League and on my Togger team. Three goals, five assists, last seven games. Talking of Togger, Liverpool are playing the football of fantasy for their fans and their long-harboured yearning. I loved hearing the cop in that second half singing, if we still had Suarez, he'd be on the bench. And they're only barely kidding. They rain more shots on target, 17, than any other team has managed in a Premier League match since records began. They were 5-0 up, and only then did they throw on Daniel Sturridge. Liverpool, Liverpool, top of the league, sang the cop with full-throated joy. I imagine Mike Myers and his WhatsApp group with fellow Liverpool fans Elvis Costello and John Oliver. I just think they must have used a lot of laughing, crying emojis during that second half. City Middlesbrough, possibly the most 2016 Premier League result of the season. City resurgent, two wins on the run. The signature victory over Barcelona. The cannon knight Pep Guardiola was brought in to orchestrate. Then in roll lowly Middlesbrough while City's partying high and hard and into the Etihad they stroll to take a in the punch. A 91st minute 
Goal by Martin Daroon, the Dutch newcomer, known as the Wave Breaker, or the Bulldog of Bergamo, back in his Syria ah, days, was enough to just deflate the air out of the Etihad and the Pep Guardiola City or back balloon. City had 71% possession, 25 shots to Burroughs 5, but the most important stat they had is going 50-50 on the points. Huge respect to Borough's manager, Aitor Karanka, who in his last two away games has grabbed draws against Arsenal and City. Fantastic achievement. But City, battering Barcelona, then drawing against Middlesbrough. Just reminded me of that classic bomb. It's for Haiku. Today, I am a man. On Monday, I return to the seventh grade. <sighs> Last but not least, Bob Bradley, Jose Mourinho. Swansea, United. All it took for United to return to the buccaneering days of Sir Alex Ferguson was to have Mourinho banished to the stands and Rui Farrier taking over. Michael Carrick acting like the glue holding the slightly ill-fitting but lavish parts together. And third, they had to play Swansea. So burned, so meek. Bob Bradley could have tried to go for United from the off at home against Fellaini, Rooney and Zlatan, the slower spine in the Premier League. Instead, his team sat deep, begged United to come at them, which they did overwhelmingly. Everything went United's way. Pogba finally played as well as he does in that Adidas commercials. Latan seemed more like the protagonist of that Eyes Latan novel. And for Bob Bradley, hello darkness, my old friend. Manchester United's dream first half was the stuff of nightmares. Swansea fans turned on the board within half an hour and the American owners screaming, you greedy bastards, get out of our club. And I felt for Bob, a man who's propelled himself as if crawling on his belly through the periphery of world football's undergrowth in a battle to show that Americans belong in the Premier League. This is not his fault. The squad he's inherited has been weakened and weakened over the past three years. It's a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox of what it was when Swansea were, quote, a model club two seasons ago. It's an ownership problem but the owners aren't going to sack themselves. Bob's going to quickly become the scapegoat and it's already gotten personal. I'll just say, may Bob's defeat be the worst thing that happens to America this week. Talking about America in MLS. MLS playoffs, eerily reminiscent of the NHL in the 1940s, totally dominated by Canadian teams, Montreal and Toronto, coming into New York and opening up a can of whoop-ass. LA Galaxy toppled on penalties by Tim Howard's Colorado Rapids and an injury weakened Mighty Dallas stopped by Seattle. I'm thrilled for the fans in Colorado and Montreal and Toronto, but I do feel for MLS from a profile, buzz, media perspective. They must have been salivating and then full of despair at MLS HQ when they think that they could have had playoff semi-finals with the two New York teams, Los Angeles and mighty Seattle. i the most shocking action took place at NYCFC, where Toronto spanked five goals unanswered. On the bright side for NYCFC, lots of positives for the second-year team. They did finally bring playoff sport back to Yankee Stadium, which is an achievement, but it ended in the most savage way watching a team with Perlo, Lampard and David Villa sink so devastatingly. Oh, clear indication of the direction MLS is continuing to go DP-wise. And on to the United States-Mexico clash. 
We don't have a raven this week, but if we did, it would come from Casey Pipe, who told us a beautiful story about Pulisic and his mental fortitude. And he said, I'm not surprised by his success. His father, Mark Pulisic, what a great guy, was my college soccer coach. He writes, Mark was incredibly competitive. Once, when the team went on a time road run, I made the mistake of trying to pass him. He kept trying to speed up each time I tried to speed past, despite him being more than twice my age. Finally, it became clear I might actually succeed in beating him. And as the finish line came into view, Mark Pulisic, Christian's father, simply grabbed my shirt to stop me. Not only did he succeed in shocking the hell out of me and throwing me off stride, he also ripped my shirt almost clean off. There is no surprise that Christian Pulisic has become what he has become. That's a fantastic story, Casey. And I'll say, having met Mark Pulisic over the past couple of weeks for a film I made for Vice, which is coming out on Wednesday, about Christian's rise, I think there's some truth in what you say. He's a super gent. And he, Mark, and his mother, Kelly, who also starred at George Mason, have had a massive role in giving Christian a super gene. But much of Christian's success is self-driven. I've rarely met a more focused and determined young American player, and the U.S. are going to need him. Going into the Mexico game, the fascinating thing, Pulisic is going to be the story for good reason. This is the first time in the Jurgen Klinsmann era that Jurgen is no longer the sole face of the team, and it's going to be fascinating to watch, to be candid, and brace for this U.S.-Mexico game. The fact that we draw confidence that every home game stretches back to 1848 skirmish of Todos Santos and it's always been Dos Acero and Columbus does not mean that it always will be. It can and there's enough talent on this US squad, enough young talent on this US squad to bring success in Columbus which is going to be a tiny cauldron of glory. But this is a squad in generational transition. Jürgen's got to get the tactics and the balance right if the US don't gain at least three points from the Mexico game and the Costa Rica hurdle that follows it, I'll say the mood around the team and the manager could quickly be very different. We've got a full week of beautiful US-Mexico-themed content. Lexi and J-Dubs working as we speak on a special edition of the newsletter, which is not to be missed. May even feature some insight from Schmidt's House of Sausage if we play our cards right. We dropped a Jürgen Klinsmann pod on Monday. It is well worth a listen. I'm really interested to hear what you Klinsmannologists out there think of his current tone. I hope for a remarkable night in Columbus, for US soccer, for the American outlaws, for the thousands of fans who are going to descend upon Ohio from across the great country, and the millions more are going to be watching at home. I did have a dream last night in which Friday was the game that went down in history as the one in which thousands of young Americans began to start wearing their Caleb Stanko replica jerseys. And shall I? May it be so. I sadly am not going to be in Columbus. I'm headed to England on Friday to make three Premier League films, one in the south, one in the north, and the other in the middle of the country. There may or may not be an Instagram story or two to come. Please, God, Davo will be back by the time I return which will coincide with the return of the Premier League into our loving arms. Please vote. Please send your big love to Davo. Godspeed US soccer and Kung Fu fighting America. Hey, Prime members. 
You can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Yo, Trey. Yeah, Kevin, what's up, man? I was just thinking, what would have happened if Drew Brees didn't fail his physical with the Dolphins and ended up playing under Nick Saban in Miami? There's a good shot the Finns establish a dynasty. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick probably don't become goats, and Tuscaloosa doesn't become the center of the college football universe. That's a butterfly effect for real. Hey, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.